health, wellness, fitness, relationships, and everything in between. We're removing the taboo from what really matters in midlife. I'm your host, Michelle Folan, and this is Asking for a Friend. As the fentanyl crisis continues to grow in the United States, its effects are far-reaching. No longer is it a scourge of the drug-addicted. Fentanyl deaths are happening in middle-class America, in our children and adults alike. Fentanyl does not discriminate. And I just want to be clear, I am not making any kind of a political statement. Jack Quell was a brilliant, fun-loving, caring son, brother, cousin, and friend. He received a scholarship to the University of South Carolina and through a special program was able to study abroad for three semesters. He made lifelong friends wherever he went. And after four very successful years of college, he began working remotely after graduation during COVID. Jack was finally able to pack up his car and a U-Haul and move to Baltimore in August of 2021 to continue his career. But before he left, he wrote his parents a beautiful note, thanking them for all that they had done for him. And he was off. On Saturday, September 19th, 2021, Jack's parents, Tom and Stephanie Quell, received the phone call that every parent dreads. They rushed to Baltimore only to learn that Jack had a 1% chance of survival after using a recreational drug that had been cut with fentanyl. Jack Quell passed away on Monday, September 21st, 2021. And since then, the Jack Quell Foundation was formed to educate and advocate so that no other family loses their Jack. I'd like to welcome to Asking for a Friend, Stephanie and Tom Quell. Hello. Hi, thank you so much for having us. Yes, thank you. You know, I... I had mentioned to you that I think this topic is long overdue, and there's a lot of reasons I wanted to do this. My audience is largely midlife women, and not only do we have children, but we're also getting into grandchildren as well. And I think this needs to be discussed and needs to be brought out into the open. But before we get started, I really want to do... Jack's story justice and would love for you to tell us more about Jack. You have other kids. And besides this wonderful foundation, you guys also have like real jobs. <laughs> so I'd love for you to share. Well, luckily, you want to start, babe? Yeah. So we're actually retired. We both retired for this foundation. So it's pretty much our full time job. Yeah. And I'll just kind of go back a little bit, but I met Stephanie in the early 90s. I have a son, Eric, from a previous marriage. And we were married in 1996, Stephanie and I. And we had Jack, Tyler, and then our caboose, Adam. Jack was an all-American boy. He he lived for academics. He loved to read and he loved sports. And when he was a kid, we lived in a, a house that had a, a huge neighborhood. And he would ride around on his bike to find, you know, pick up football games. And at one time, I think we owned, or he owned, we bought him every NFL jersey out there. <laughs> uh, so he had this zest for football, zest for life, zest for reading, and a zest for academics. Uh, he went to Moeller High School, graduated in 2016, 
2016, excuse me. Uh, he was uh, top 10 academically. Uh, he gave the graduation speech, uh, the closing graduation speech at the graduation ceremony. And um, got us, as you mentioned earlier, Michelle, he had a scholarship to the University of South Carolina. Uh, when we talk to schools and communities, we talk about everything Jack touched in high school. He was, like, as I mentioned earlier, academically inclined. He also was big into sports. He played volleyball, but his real love was football. He was lucky enough to move up his sophomore year to uh, the varsity team, and that's the last state championship that Moeller won. And we were very happy to be there. He actually had a championship ring that uh, he got for that, which was really cool. And then he, he started most of his junior year and then all of his senior year. He also was involved in the theater. He was in a, a program called Improv at Moeller, which is basically kind of a comedy sketch thing. And we were lucky to see that, too, because Tyler had done it. Tyler's a year younger than Jack, and Tyler did it from freshman year on. Jack did it just his senior year. And to see both of them, Tyler being a junior and Jack being a senior, it was just a great experience. Aww, that's Hilarious. Really we loved every part of it. As you mentioned earlier, he went to South Carolina on a scholarship. Uh, he enrolled in Darla Moore School of Business, International Business, and he studied abroad for three semesters, Singapore, Germany, and Brazil. Brazil was his favorite because he spoke fluent Portuguese, which we didn't know he did, <laughs> and actually wrote a diary in Portuguese, which we can't translate. Oh, that's so funny. No, I got it translated. Stephanie and, and Tom, I have to say, for a for someone in college to get to study abroad for three semesters is amazing. I mean, you don't. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah. What a, yeah. What a great we program. We, and during our talks, we, we mentioned that we never worried about him. And the study abroad program brought him in touch with friends from France, Germany, Brazil, Singapore. And they all went to different locations. And all those people studied semester at South Carolina with Jack. So they were lifelong friends. Part of them uh, are still with us uh, and involved in a foundation to help us spread the awareness of uh, the dangers of fentanyl. So Jack graduated in 2020. It was a height of COVID, so his graduation was remote. He enrolled in a program called uh, Venture for America, which puts you in startup companies and you learn every piece of the company, uh, logistics, sales, accounting. And his job was based out of Baltimore. Uh, it was called the Hex Corporation. And he, uh, he had to live with us for a year. He worked remotely. Uh, and it was a great year. I mean, a lot of people hated COVID. We loved it because we had Jack with us the whole time. And Jack was really big into music. And at that time, vinyl records were really picking up. So we bought a turntable and we'd order records and have them shipped to our house. And we listened <laughs> to his music and our music. And it was just a celebration of life. We really enjoyed every piece of that. You when got bonus time with him, you know, because oh, a lot oh, of, yes, yeah, right? Yes. I mean, Stephanie, you probably. Yeah, yeah, we didn't realize it at the time. But yeah, you, you know, I thank God every day for that time now. Yes. I mean, obviously, Tom's, you know, it was fun having him. But when it was time to go, it was time to go. <laughs> so we were like, yeah. go on. For it's time for you to go. Yeah. yeah. All of us had, you know, we had that year where I think everybody was ready at that yeah. point. Yeah, that's great. So in August of 2021, he packed up a U-Haul and drove up to Baltimore. Labor Day weekend, Tyler, who also went to University of South Carolina, studied abroad, same program, Darla Moore. He also got invention for America and his job was in Philadelphia. So Labor Day weekend, we moved Tyler up to Philadelphia and Jack came up 
from Baltimore to help us move in because they're so close to each other. We were happy. We were thinking we could visit these guys anytime we want at the same time. And that Labor Day weekend, we met Jack and went to Baltimore to see his new apartment. He had two friends from South Carolina that lived in Baltimore, not with him, but close to him. And we met both of them, Aaron and Chris. And that was the last time we saw Jack. Two weeks later, Stephanie got the call from Aaron that he had found Chris and Jack on Jack's rooftop. He had like a rooftop patio. Chris had already died and Jack was alive. He had a pulse. And this is usually where Stephanie takes over the story since she got the call. So I'll turn it over to you. No, thanks, hon. Yeah, it was obviously horrible, but I think part of the foundation also is we had no idea what fentanyl does to you. Like I'd heard of it, you know, obviously, but thank God, because, you know, I left the festival and came home and grabbed Tom and, you know, we couldn't find flights. It was just like, you just get in your car. You're like, we just got to go. And so driving in that blind faith or, you know, I say blind because I know that now, but, you know, we had hope and to drive, I don't know, what was it, Tom? Supposed to be 10 hours. Maybe we did an eight and a half. I have no idea. We totally thought Jack was that type of kid that just landed on his feet. You know, he always figured something out. So I was just like, if anyone could beat this, it would be Jack. And, you know, of course I was, I so appreciate Aaron, who Tom told you, he found two of his friends. I can't even imagine what that scene looked like. And I always tell the students we talk to, you know, if something goes wrong or you're ever in a situation, you make the call, you know, you don't leave a friend. It doesn't have to be fentanyl related. It could be anything, you know, you don't leave them. And he had the guts to call me himself after seeing what he saw. And Tom and I are very thankful for that. We had, Tyler drive from Philly because he could get there sooner and to be with Jack. And looking back, you know, we didn't hear much from us. Like, oh, have the paramedics call me or have the doctor call me. And I should have known they were in crisis mode trying to save a child's life. And we didn't know that, you know. And then when we first got to the hospital, I think when they told us he had a 1% chance, they thought we'd be like, okay, well, thank you and be done. But of course, Tom and I are like, all right, let's go. He has 1% chance. And so he was with us through the night, but we saw way too much and you don't need to hear all the details on that. By morning, we're like, okay, this is enough. You just, you just know as a parent. And I was like, okay, are you going to you know, take his organs? And they're like, we can't even use any of his organs. And you're like, Jesus, you know, what does this drug do to your body? So we don't know a lot about the night because Chris, like Tom said, died with him. Um, they were fraternity brothers and Aaron, I don't push him to tell me more, but I know that They were all out together. And that's another thing we stress to people we're talking to. And for adults, everybody makes bad decisions, you know, when alcohol is involved. And I'm just going to assume they, you know, were drinking alcohol. Like I said, I don't know details, but Jack didn't go out that night to die. And I think that's the other thing is, you know, even though his friend, you know, they offered something and he took it, he didn't want to die. So I told you yesterday, you know, we call it fentanyl poisoning because he's, all these Americans that are dying, many, many, many hundreds of thousands, you know, they are not trying to die. And illicit fentanyl is killing our Americans in record numbers. And you've learned a great deal about the fentanyl crisis, the drug itself, and how far reaching it really is. First of all, I want to say thank you for sharing that story. And I know you've recounted it many, many times, but I don't know how you went through this. I don't even know how you drove back from Baltimore. 
all this time had to be a blur for you. It was. It was. And a blur is a great word because at 6.30 a.m. they told us they couldn't do anything else for Jack. And we knew that. But they got us a room. The, the hospital did. And we were up all night, obviously. We checked into the hotel room and we just stared at each other and we said, we can't sleep. Let's just go to Jack's apartment, get everything that was valuable to him, valuable to us. And we loaded up Tyler's car and our car and Tyler went back to Philadelphia and we drove straight through to uh, Cincinnati. My company was kind enough to fly Tyler back that night to Cincinnati because he, you know, Tyler got there before us. So he saw even more than us. And I'm sure there's a lot of scar tissue on his side, but you're right. It was a blur, the whole thing. And as you go through those next 10 days of Stephanie's sisters and mom plan the funeral for us, thank God they did. It was great because we couldn't do it. And you have all these people that reach out to you that are loving and really care about you. So those 10 days, you're obviously in shock, but you have comfort. Well, when those 10 days go by and people have to go back to school or their jobs, that's when you're left alone and that's when it really sinks in. And I've told this story many times that I didn't want to get out of bed. I, I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to work. I didn't want to do anything. And then Stephanie finally woke up one day and said, we need to do something about this. We need to make sure that no one else loses their Jack. And that's where the Jack Quell Foundation started. And you had Adam at home. Yes. Yeah. I taught at Adam's school. I was a teacher for 18 years at St. Columban School in Loveland, Ohio. It was September. I just got this new class of sweet little fifth graders. And, you know, I think we were three weeks into school and then this tragedy hits. And Adam looked at me, I think two weeks later and said, if I have to go to school, why don't you have to go to school? And I was like, okay, you know what? And I really truly was like, I couldn't leave those kids who have no idea what fentanyl is, or they're so young. I was like, I can't not finish the year. I don't know. I look back now. I don't know how I did it. But yeah, so I just got up every day and Adam and I went to school. I have to say, like, I'm funny. I told you yesterday, I have to keep my humor. But the first day he went back to school, I got a call from the nurse that he broke his hand. I was like, oh my God, we've never had one broken bone in any, any kids. And then he's back one day and I was like, oh God, there's another thing. So it was good for me to be there to keep eyes on him, obviously, and the teaching staff to keep eyes on Adam. Uh, the community, you know, my mom and dad told me once that you, you know, a lot of people don't continue with their church and their faith and we don't have to get into religion. But she did just say that part of being part of any church is the community when there's something that happens in your life. And I didn't get it. And boy, did our community, not only St. Columban, but Loveland, um, where we live, it was incredible, the support and the meals and candles and services and prayers. And it was truly, and they still are amazing, amazing people had, um, came through through this, you know, and that helps us a lot too. Somebody the other day lost a son and uh, her friend reached out to me like, she doesn't know what to do, what she can do. And I was like, you know, you have to surround yourself with good people. And I feel like in life, that's what your good friends are there for and people that you know. And obviously teaching for 18 years, I've met many of families, you know, and so they were there for us for sure. I think this is also a, a great message that if you know people that are going through a hard time, it doesn't even have to be the loss of a child, but step up because what you're telling me mm -hmm. is those little kind gestures and 
the thoughts really were important to you during this healing process. So I think that's super important. Yeah, and, and I have to say, I was one of those people, if you're afraid of death, which I was like, not afraid, I'm not afraid of, well, I am afraid of death, but um, I never knew what to say at a funeral. Like I was one of those people that I was like, oh my gosh, you know, you go through a line, like, what do I say? Or what do I write in the card after? I just never really had good words. And I have somebody who sends me a note every week for the last two and a half years. And it means so much to me to get a card in the mail or for Tom and I to get a treat or just someone to acknowledge that they remember. I think too, we want people to speak Jack's name. And I think people are afraid or tentative. We love his friends have been amazing. They send us old videos or they'll send us pictures or memories. And it makes you sad. Obviously you see your kid, but it also the, the joy I get to relive some of these moments has been great. And he was a boy. So the boys don't share a lot with their moms. He wasn't like texting me every day with pictures, you know, so the girls in the international program probably gave us the most priceless thing. They gave us a 10 minute video and it has voiceovers where they interviewed all the kids in the program. And then they added all the stills and then video of their trips that I had never seen because Jack might've sent some of it home, but girls are so much better. So they collected it all. And it's just absolutely amazing to see. So yes, reach out to people and let them know you care and speak of their loved one's name is very important. Oh, that is so thoughtful too. What those girls mm -hmm. did. It, this lifelong treasure for the you. The girls came out of the woodwork. <laughs> we met a lot of girls that we didn't know about. <laughs> oh, boys are so funny yeah, we, that we way. We probably know more about Jack now than we yeah. ever did. That's for yeah, sure. I'm yeah. sure. Oh, yeah. And Tom mentioned, you know, they all wanted a piece of Jack. So like the kids came and they all took his jerseys, you know, these kids all, you know, he had all these Jersey collections. And so at his viewing, we asked for no suits. We're like, we want you to wear your favorite jerseys because that was Jack. He never wore anything nice. He didn't care what clothes he had on. He wasn't, he was very unassuming and just that wasn't his gig. And so my niece was moving and she's like, Hey, I need to take something to, of Jack. So we went down the base and we were kind of looking through his stuff. And I thought it was a school notebook. And like Tom said, it was a diary in Portuguese that I am again, thankful to have. And it's, it was more introspective. It wasn't like, Oh, I did this today. It was more like I'm, he read books all the time. I'm reading this book and this is what I'm going to take from it. Or this is a lesson I learned, or I hope I do this. And he was worried about his friends and what all was going on and himself and trying to be a better person and exercising and cutting back on a lot. And so I did have it, our, our neighbor did it for us, got it translated for us. So it's very interesting to me that we, Tom and I, once again, had no idea that he was fluent enough to write pages in a journal. That absolutely floors me, but all right. We, he didn't even tell yeah. us, I know. Multi-talented kid and he knows Portuguese, go figure. Yeah. And I think we say that, like when we talk, like Tom and I, we don't, we're not trying to brag on Jack. I think the whole intelligence piece is that you can be as smart as you want and you're still going to make bad decisions in life, or you can be brought up in a certain environment and go to these nice schools and do this and that, and you're still going to make bad decisions. So aren't we really stress the kids? You have to think nowadays, now it's life or death. It's not, oh, you're going to be okay. You, you, with the statistics, which I know you're going to bring up later, they can't dabble like people did in the 70s and the 80s, 90s. They just can't. Yeah. When we talk, we uh, mention the word invincible because mm -hmm. when I was young, I felt invincible. I'm sure everybody in their life has felt invincible at one time. 
And there's that level of invincibility through high school, college, and when you first graduate, all through your 20s. And unfortunately, fentanyl doesn't care about invincibility. It doesn't care if you can run a 100-yard dash in 10 seconds or bench press 300 pounds or you're extremely intelligent. It doesn't care. It will kill you no matter what. You've learned a great deal about the fentanyl crisis, the drug itself, and how far-reaching it is. And the message that I'm hearing from you loud and clear is that this can really happen to anyone. Can you share some of the insights that you've learned? I know, Stephanie, you had shared a few stories with me yesterday when we spoke, how these are normal, good people that are being affected by it. Yeah, actually, um, so, you know, obviously I'm in, we're in forums on Facebook and social media of grieving parents. And I can't even look at it. I mean, I do, but it's just story after story. And one of the things that kind of stunned me still was I didn't realize there's, you know, people like me who might've been in a car accident or had a knee surgery and then they're in pain and their prescribed pain pills, you know, are gone. And they're so desperate because of the pain that they're ordering up Percocets, um, pain, other pain medications off of social media and I've seen fathers dying and mothers dying, you know, people that are in the work world. Um, Tom, I told her about the Wall Street Journal article. Tell her about, about the Uber. Oh, yes. A couple of things. We knew nothing about fentanyl and we know everything now. But we also didn't know how bad cocaine is out there today. And cocaine is like a party drug that's almost at every party, especially among young professionals. And there was an article in the Wall Street Journal about six months ago that talked about this Coke, it was called Coke Uber. So you could basically call this guy or girl, I'm not sure who the dealer was, or order it and they would deliver it to you. And it was mainly in New York. And unfortunately, the Coke Uber dealer had a bad batch that was laced with fentanyl and it killed a Wall Street executive, a nurse, a lawyer, and a couple other people in New York over the weekend. So that just shows you how prevalent illicit drugs are in our uh, nation today. Story after story, but I looked up at the DEA since we talked. So I, I told um, Michelle yesterday that when we started talking last spring, it was six out of 10 street drug pills were laced with fentanyl. But now it's up to seven out of 10 within six months. In our presentations, and if you're listening, you, you literally cannot tell the difference to the naked eye between the fake pills and the real prescribed pills. So even doctors can't. It literally has to be under a microscope to tell the difference. So you can get a pill press off of Amazon. They're creating these pills in large like Home Depot buckets. The people that are mixing are not scientists or chemists. I couldn't understand like how it's cut or how that works. And one of the number one questions that people ask us is why are they trying to kill us? And maybe there is some in their back of their mind, like we're killing Americans, but they're trying to get Americans addicted to the drug. So fentanyl has been used in surgeries forever. It's safe if you're at the hospital. That's other people start to freak out. It's totally different from the illicit fentanyl, but they're putting little, is it micrograms, honey? Micrograms into the batch Mill- of milligrams. powder. And two specks, little pieces of salt can kill you. So I couldn't understand how they even, it's hard to visualize, well, how do you even get less than that in? So it's just making Americans addicted. 
and I'll let Tom, he's better at this, but once they get past the fentanyl, if they get immune to taking that all the time, then they would, what's the next one they brought in, honey? The, ketamine. Um, ketamine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell them about that. And then the other thing. Yeah. So the misconception that Stephanie mentions is that uh, the cartels or the dealers are trying to kill people. And that's not, even though it does happen, their number one goal is to get you hooked on what you think you're taking is really fentanyl. So you could take a Percocet or you could try cocaine or any another pills. You know, if you take something to stay up at night to study for an exam and it might be laced with fentanyl that won't kill you, but you'll have this incredible addictive feeling that you want more. And that's how they start. Fentanyl is very cheap. It's very easy to make. It's highly addictive. It's more addictive than heroin, morphine, cocaine. And that's how they get you hooked. And once you start experiencing the sensation of fentanyl, you need more and more and you develop a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Resistance. Resistance, thank you. That allows you to take more fentanyl. And then you start becoming what you want to call a drug addict or whatever it is. And once you reach the point where fentanyl doesn't do it anymore, you reach, uh, they they have a new drug or they put it in ketamine, uh, horse tranquilizers, and that's when you're really bad. Some of that that they're making today, test strips can't pick up. Narcan can't save you. Uh, it's just a extremely, extremely powerful, illicit, and bad drug. The availability out there in the market is frightening to me. Yes. That mm-hmm. you can buy it on social media. I, I hope parents are listening to this, that they are having these discussions with their even their older adult children, because they're not immune to well, it either. we've had adults. I mean, we've had friends, I mean, literally friends of friends who are like, could be smoking marijuana or taking things. They're like, oh, I, it's okay. I got it from my friend. Sounds just like the kids. And, and you say, well, where did your friend get it? So like, unless you're growing it in your own backyard. And by the way, I mean, and if you're listening to this, it's not, I've seen babies die, toddlers eight, nine, 10 year olds, um, innocent bystanders that happen to touch it when it's in the presence of their parents. So the conversation, yes, needs to happen. I don't care how old, obviously you're going to cater it to who you're talking to, but you know, there's many facets of that. And as far as like drug and addiction and recovery, we are all for that. There was just other foundations focusing on that. And so with our foundation, with Jack, it's more the recreational use of hey, like you said, you need to talk to these kids that are trying things or even adults. Um, I can't stress it enough. I say in our talks, have one, 60 one-minute conversations versus hours on end, if you can just keep plugging that. I also say right now in the United States, every day, uh, it's an equivalent of a 747 dropping out of the sky and killing our Americans. Every single day, that's what's happening. I think it's every five minutes. But if a plane dropped out, we would hear about it, right? So I think we're up to, what was it last year, honey? Over 120,000 deaths. Yeah, I think it's 110 Um, 110 or 116. Uh, The numbers just keep going up. They haven't even verified it yet. Yeah, they can't even keep up with it. And honestly, I just looked up on the DEA site, which is a great resource. Just in 2024, they have confiscated 483,000 plus illicit pills. Just in January, I mean, think about it. We're, We're not even through a month. And they've confiscated 244 pounds of fentanyl powder. Which would kill, so this is which just would the kill how many people? Oh, I mean, oh, they could kill million. the whole, 
Yeah. They could kill the United States three times over. And I think, you know, we're not trying to scare anyone. We try not to be like that, but it's odorless. It's tasteless. You you will have no idea. And so it's very important to be vigilant. Uh, we don't teach to, it's okay for trying things, just make sure you test and ha- use Narcan because we want them just to not do it. But I didn't understand this, but everyone should carry it because it could be somebody at Kroger or you're an innocent bystander and somebody drops next to you with the statistics going on in the United States. So that's just to be on hand. As, as I mean, a, you're talking about Narcan. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think we're going to see where more education is coming in the school systems. And um, obviously we have to, it's the leading killer in the United States right now, 18 to 45. That's all people should need to hear. I'm that's right. Those are amazing statistics. Um, an interesting uh, story is we have a guy named Mark Murphy who works with us and um, Tom and John Homer, and he are going to go to the border here in March, but he went to the border last year and he said, it's just frightening. Um, they have huge army commando guys that come across the border with backpacks. They advertise, they went to the Arizona border, but they advertise like make a quick, thousand bucks or whatever, like you see on telephone poles. And obviously it has to raise a few flags with these kids. And then they drive down, they get these college students or people that need money and they have no idea what they've gotten into. Sometimes they have people with guns to their head, telling them to drive. Uh, He was on a police chase where they caught the car and the girl's mom was calling her cell phone and they had to answer it and say like, your daughter's okay, but she is mixed up in this really bad situation here at the border. And then that girl's life is forever changed. So he, he just said it was just constant. So um, as a foundation, we thought it was important to go down and see this firsthand for ourselves. What is going on? I'll just say real quickly, I'm looking, I'm not looking forward to going to the border, but I am looking forward to going to the border just to see what's uh, how bad it is. And, and then give firsthand knowledge when we talk to parents and the kids. Well, it'll definitely increase that credibility in your message and I do want to talk more about your foundation because I think it was Jack's friends who wanted to do something. It was do it for Jack. And that really blossomed into the Jack Quell Foundation, which is what you two are, are doing now. You've touched many people with Jack's story, with your outreach. And sadly, there are a lot of families out there that have similar stories your mission is education. So what are you currently doing? Like when you say you're going to schools, but I think you're also going to corporations as well. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So um, at the funeral, uh, I wanted to get the elephant out of the room and then or address the elephant in the room. And it wasn't planned. He just yeah. stood up. I'm like, where are you going? Yeah. So I, I said, you know, uh, first of all, you know, you don't know what to say to us. I understand that. Just give us a hug and tell you that you love us. Uh, and then I said, we all know how we know how Jack died and we know, you know, how Jack died. If you find yourself in a position where you need to make a choice, make the right choice, make the life-saving choice. And if you can't make that choice on your own, make that choice for Jack, do it for Jack. So that's where it came from. And it was, it was not scripted. It was just something I said. And the whole foundation is based on that fact that, make right choices for your life and do it for Jack. Uh, and I don't know if you want to talk. So Stephanie's the one kind of the 
the planning person uh, of who we talk to. And <laughs> I can, I can, we both talk and uh, it, it's great when we talk to high schools, we talk to communities, we've done a couple podcasts, a couple radio uh, station uh, segments. But when we talk, especially the high schools, we love to have someone that was Jack's age, one of his friends to come with us. And we were lucky enough to have the last couple We've had a couple of Jack's girlfriends, friends that are girls, and one of his best friends, Jake, present with us because the kids get it from us. Like they, they love to hear us talk and, and they get some value out of that. But when they have someone close to their age talk about it, the attention span goes up a thousand percent. And it's just it's great to watch that interaction. You know, we're older now, uh, but to have someone that's close to their age talk, it, it's just awesome to see uh, how much they soak it in. Yeah. So it started off like, oh, we have to start this education program or get in the schools, which we did last spring. A lot of, um, we started and Tom and I felt like we needed to be in small groups. So it was easier to get into the private schools in Cincinnati because they can, you know, I didn't have to go through a lot of loopholes, but we were doing it in classes of, you know, 20 to 30 kids. And, you know, between our talk, we show a documentary that's very impactful. We give them the facts and, at the end, we would give them a, a Google form, like an exit interview for us. And so in this form, you know, it's anonymous and wow, the insight from these kids and how they've been affected and who they've known and what they've seen. It's it it's more than all of us in this age group listening. They, they just know uh, so much more than us. So we um, realized too, through the few parent talks that we started to doing that the parents had no idea. And so then we kind of like as a foundation, like, you know what, we got to start educating adults so then they can speak to their children. They can still hear us, but they also need to be keyed in onto what's going on. And even now, every time I meet someone, they're like, I had no idea. I had no idea. So um, in these last few weeks, we've just had some amazing opportunities come through, like you said, um, with some bigger companies asking us to speak to their young professionals that they've just hired, their new hires that are in the age group, some sales meetings, another person who, same thing, they just want to make sure their employees know what is going on as well. And I think that's amazing. It just kind of puts us in another whole audience that we haven't touched yet. And obviously Tom and I are willing to speak to whoever will listen. We're going to partner with some other foundations in the United States, as far as the education and the curriculum, because there's been things already designed that we can probably use versus reinventing the wheel. All the foundations I've reached out to want to collaborate. Nobody's like, Oh no, you know, it's like, this is a problem in the United States. Let's go, you know, as many people we can get in as many States. Yeah. So that's been great. And to echo Stephanie's comments about parents, we talk to the high schoolers, they soak it all in, but the parents, when they listen to us talk, their jaw drops because they were like us. They didn't know anything about fentanyl. And when they see the statistics, it's shocking. And you know, we've had parents tear up during our presentations um, and just want to know more about, what they can do. And, you know, we all want to protect our kids. But when you hear the, the statistics of what's going on out there, that's when it really soaks in. And I, I really like to get more parents involved in our discussions. Uh, and I get it. It's tough. You, know, you work all day and then, you know, we'll do a seven o'clock call or a seminar and it's tough to get there. But it's very important to hear this message so that they can save their Jack. How can we help? I would love to give the listeners an opportunity to help you all get your word out there. Another thing I've realized through our talks is 
this, um, this fentanyl and taking the pills, which really worries me in the high school age. And I think Tom and I didn't hit it. It is in vaping cartridges that they're buying off the street. And when we say that, not the ones at the gas station, but they're cheaper. So they'll go to some social media. I don't know how they find it, but they find it. It's in, and we've had firsthand stories. This isn't Tom and I just saying it, especially from those interviews I was telling you about. It's in marijuana. It is in marijuana. We've heard now numerous stories of death through marijuana. At first, I thought I didn't have a concrete story, and I do. And it is in um, the, what Tom mentioned, the Adderall is there's a shortage of Adderall right now. So if you have a child that, or a grandchild that is using Adderall for their ADD or ADHD, you know, it's a hot commodity in colleges and kids will buy it. They'll buy it in high school. They want to stay up and study. Well, there's a shortage. So then that's where, okay, I need an Adderall to study. I'm going to get one off social media and they're dying from that. So I just think it's really important for parents to know that and grandparents that, that it is readily available. And I think this also ties into what we talked about is mental health. So that's another thing. If you have a child that's struggling and you're a little worried, but you know, they're taking things to feel better, right? We know that. And we've met many parents who were blindsided. They didn't realize their child was struggling and they go into their bedroom and the next morning they're finding their child in bed and it's too late. So I just, I know a lot of your podcasts are on health and I just think that's a very important to tie it in with teenagers, anyone, adults who are struggling that way as well. Yeah. And, and we, we do lump the two together. So it's health and wellness mm-hmm. and very much we, mm-hmm. we, yep. we do focus on, on the mental aspects of health here for sure. Tom, did you have something else you wanted to add? No, I just said that was well put, Stephanie. Yeah. How can we help? Because I, I know that people are listening and that would love to not only have some more resources, but how can they help? We have uh, at the foundation, obviously, uh, we, Stephanie and I retired and we're for free and everything's not free. So a little shameless plug is we do take donations. Uh, we were lucky enough to win Cincinnati Gives twice, mainly from Stephanie's work about promoting it. So that has funded us and we're going to work on a one and three and five year plan. And if you want to go, Stephanie, what through those plans are and you know, talk about uh, education kits in high schools and documentaries. Since that's near and dear to your heart, I'll let you take over. Yeah. So first of all, I always say, you know, the biggest thing is awareness. Obviously, like Tom said, we love donations, obviously. But to me, if you take our message and share it and tell somebody else our story or send them to us, that is number one is, um, like I said, raising awareness. Uh, we love when people have our shirts on. Um, we've been in, Tom, you have to tell the statistics of 27 states. Uh, a Do It For Jack shirt has shown up and 37 countries, um, counting the U.S., uh, there's been a Do It For Jack shirt. And what the Do It For Jack shirt represents is we want people to ask them, what does Do It For Jack mean? And that's how the story then, is shared. And that's how it's passed yes. on the message. And that, that's a powerful message because the people that wear the Do It For Jack shirts know Jack's story and they know our story and they're, they're somewhat burst on you know, the dangers of fentanyl. And that's how we're carrying on the message, not just Stephanie and I doing it. The, the yeah, folks, our family, friends that all talk about Jack. Yeah. So that's just like my, I hate to say fun, but you know, when, when you're grieving, you need a little light in your life. And so when people send us their pictures and say, hey, I'm here it just makes us so happy. Um, yes. So that's raising awareness with the stories through the education. Like I said, the more at first I was like, yeah, we need to do come up with our own 
curriculum and this and that. And that takes, you know, a lot of manpower and to do that. So I'm trying to partner now with things that are already made, but we do need to come up with our own. We say kit, this could be like an online, you know, drive folder where anyone can speak on our behalf. I'm really happy that I found somebody to help me with the young professionals board, which Tom was telling me, we call them a board, but these are all Jack's age group who have reached out or other family members. They want to be a part of it. So I was like, okay, what can we do? And they're all in different states. So I think you will see the Jack Quell Foundation do it for Jack beyond Cincinnati this year. So we've asked for a two-year commitment and they're going to go speak or do some kind of awareness on our behalf, which is great. And then that hopefully will trickle because in five years, like Tom said, we can't possibly speak to every school or every parent group or every whatever. And so we need these ambassadors and I need to be able to give them what they need to speak and know what they're doing and um, be successful as us, you know, being us nationally. So that would be the goal. Uh, We need to get, you know, obviously raise funds for an operating budget. Like Tom said, we've had everybody do everything for nothing. And I'm finding that I can't be the social media person. You'll see I'm I try, but I'm not great at it. And so, you know, hiring people to help us because we're swimming, you know, and that's a great thing. We've been just all of a sudden, you know, people care. Like Tom said, to win Cincinnati Gives twice, said to me, Cincinnati cares. If Cincinnati cares, Ohio cares. You know, I told you yesterday, Ohio is number three in fentanyl overdose deaths in the United States. And I was just like, at first, like, what? And it's because of 71 and 75 and getting to the East Coast and from... Arizona, Texas, and then shooting right up. They can be, you know, in another state in 24 hours. So it is important to Ohio, but it's important to every state. So what can you do to help? You can connect us. That's, I don't even have a grant writer. Hey, if you're a grant writer, I'll take you too. But connecting us, is your, does your company, is this something we can work together with? Is your, you know, do you have somebody in your community that would love to help us or want us to speak to them? Do you have a story? Do you have a story you'd like to share with us? And then maybe we can help somehow through our foundation, you know, partnering with us. So anything, I don't know how to say that right. Connectors, right? We need connectors. Is that a good word? Yes. Yeah. And I think it's important. uh, One of the other things we want to do is uh, create a documentary, not just about our life, but about the other people uh, who are in the situation we are in, uh, people that have lost their son or daughter or their mother or father or a brother or sister or a a best friend, because talking about this is hard, but it's also cathartic. And it really helps us feel better when we feel like we're saving someone. And I think documenting someone talking about their child or their friend would help them too. And combining that all together and getting it out on social media, I think will be extremely powerful. Absolutely. Yeah. And I forgot about that, Tom. So yeah, my dream was this documentary that wasn't necessarily the Jack Quell, all about Jack. It was more of um, an educational piece that we could use because the one we use now, um, if you're listening, it's called Dead on Arrival. It's on YouTube. It's amazing, but it's from 2020 and the statistics are 10 times worse. And so when we speak, we're like, okay, look at this, but now it's this. And just kind of refreshing it and coming up with our own unique, like I said, so that anyone could speak on our behalf. You know, you have this movie. Um, I met with a film company yesterday. It is very expensive. I was just asking for little five-minute deals. And then I think if you take it to the next level with focus groups and stories, you know, if we do it right, we would definitely need funding to get that off the ground as well. I hope everyone listening knows that Stephanie and Tom are super lovely people 
they would love any support, reach out to them. I do have a question for both of you. Sure. With everything- I don't think anybody's called me lovely in a long time, but I really appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean that. And there there is a personal connection. I do know Stephanie's sister very well. I want to know, with everything that you have going on, what do you both do to take care of yourselves? Because I'm big on self-care, and I would love to know how you manage everything. So we work out together every day. Steph is a yoga instructor, which I'm sure she can talk how that makes her feel better. We take naps which we really need. (laughs) Yes, because it is exhausting and uh, your memory wanders. Uh, We are lucky enough to have both our families live in Cincinnati, extended families. So they are very supportive of us and very loving. And we have a great friend network that always helps us pick up the pieces. When we feel down or, uh, you know, we need someone to talk to or have a beer with or an ear and a beer, I always call it. They're always there for us. No questions asked. And I I think if we were hermits, it'd be a lot tougher. But uh, I'm a social creature. Stephanie is a super social creature. (laughs) Uh, And uh, we keep plodding along. So thank you for asking that question, because I think a friend and family network is extremely important to help us get through this. Well, and I think if you're listening and you're grieving, it may not be through fentanyl and you're just grieving or you've lost a child, you know, you can't ever fill that void. And I feel like for me to turn into a negative person, you know, would do no good for anyone at all. And so we try to use humor. We, you know, we, I think we laugh. He usually makes me laugh at least once a day. The nap thing is funny. We were always nappers, but now it's a necessity. Your brain, literally, if you're if you're listening to, turn it off. You know, you can set your timer for 20 minutes and have a reset. But um, if you don't do it for yourself, do it anyway. Getting out and walking, like he said, if, you know, everybody. Obviously, we all know that, but just it helps your body so much to move and to breathe. The yoga is great, and that's just another community I'm into. They make me happy. But I think Tom and I are in tune to that kind of stuff where we'll look at each other and I'll just say, I'm done. Like, you know, he's like, that's okay. You can be done. And I think that's another thing. You have to admit to yourself, I'm done. I can't do anything else today or I've done enough. Obviously having Adam, Tom and I have to put two feet in front of each other every day. And that's been a blessing to say, you know, we can't just crawl up in a ball and not do anything. But it is very hard. I don't want people to think everyone's like, oh, you're so strong. And I really don't feel strong. I don't, Tom, if that bugs you. I, I was like, I'm not but I might look like I am. I think people who are grieving are crumbling on the inside. And Tom and I just are more vocal because we don't want somebody else to have to go through this. I mean, we it wasn't an option for me to not say anything to anybody or to pretend this isn't what it was. Because with what we know with the statistics, we have to speak up. And that our last fundraiser was called Courage to Speak Up. We had to have the courage to talk about it. And every day is hard. For sure. I don't want Jack forgotten. That's one of my biggest things. I don't want him forgotten. I want people to speak and talk about it and save their families. I appreciate you all speaking up. This is, I know, part of your mission, but bringing up memories again, I know is never easy. I would like for you to tell the listeners where they can find the Jack Quell Foundation. Thank you so much. Um, 
So the, the website is very easy. It's www.doitforjack.org. So I think if you even Google do it for Jack, we'll show up. Um, we change it to the Jack Quell Foundation and then do it for Jack is like, you know, another name, but also our hashtag of just like, that's what we want you to do. But we did create the foundation. Um, I, I think I told you yesterday too, we also have scholarships available. And so that's another funding thing. Um, we have one that's already endowed at Muller High School in Cincinnati, Ohio, just because that's where Jack went. And we give a scholarship, a couple scholarships away at his grade school. And we ask that they use it for travel. We ask that they take the money to use an experience. Not only did Jack love to travel, but as a teacher and an educator, you learn through experience. And I think that's so important. And with how expensive education is and the cost of living, I know it's a hardship to, for kids to be able to do that. Our next step would be to create another endowment scholarship where maybe it's whoever we've spoken to can apply. We have to figure that out because, you, you, know, you know, that would be really hard to do. But a scholarship that anyone, we have to figure out, you know, the rules, but can apply for to use for some type of service or travel to better themselves, you know, and do something in life to make somebody else's life better. I love that. And I wish you both tremendous good health and success with the foundation. Thank you both for being here, Tom and Stephanie Quell. Thank you, Michelle. Yeah, thank you. Follow Asking for a Friend on social media outlets and provide a review and share this show wherever you get your podcasts. Reviews and sharing help us grow. 